Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and uh, I want to talk today about the fine distinctions between breaker and changer designations and the ramifications of these differences in context of the standard PRT response. Matt. Uh, Matt. Y- yeah? The, the podcast. Oh, right. Gotta, yeah, yeah. We're going to record. This is not the time oh. for this right now. Okay. Later, though? No. No, oh, Matt. Okay. No. Write a paper. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of ge- geeky refuges, anxiety exp- explosions, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we're approaching the end of Arc 11 Blinding with chapters 11.10 and 11.11. Seems like we're heading towards the climax here, Matt. Uh, the the remains of the brilliantly executed three-pronged heartbreak ciders attack chase after a van that contains their friends. They're inter- interrupted by Nailbiter and Colt who seems to have a set of powers very reminiscent to a certain friend of ours. The two sides battle and Victoria is victorious, but is forced to let the bad guys go, agreeing to a prisoner swap. Heading to the university, Victoria learns the most literal definition of some of your teammates. Matt, what do you think of these two chapters? Uh, Well, first of all, I like that we get to cover these two together. It just seems like they go together really well. Um, I agree. we, We kind of finished off the fight with... Uh, with Lord of Loss, we we moved on to the meeting with Rachel and um, and now you know this team plus now Rachel and her dogs are heading off and then in these chapters we have basically one extended fight between Love Loss group and um the new member of Love Loss group who we're gonna pretend to be cagey <laughs> about even though everyone knows and uh basically just um. A lot of stuff going on here. Great, great battles. Um, powers taken in new directions and allowing us to explore characters in new ways, which is always one of my favorite things. So basically just can't wait to get into it. Yeah, me too. Um, there's there's a lot of action here, a lot going on. For some reason, like, I, I really like the first chapter. I enjoyed 10. But for some reason, 11 um, felt really dense to me. I don't know. Like I, we don't ever like do a word count. It just felt like a lot happened in that chapter. Like I remember reading it on Sunday afternoon. Um, and just like, it just keeps like, it's more and more. And you think it's about to be over. Nope. We got more, more. And it's just very dense. There's so much stuff going on, um, with all of our characters. I, well, the thing that I like about these two chapters specifically is we're not really focusing down on one character. There's things happening, bad things or, or, rough things or interesting things happening to just about every one of our characters in these battles. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, well, I'm can't wait to talk about it. Uh, but yeah. first let's do some, uh, announcements. Cause we got a big one. We got a big announcement. Yeah. And that is that the, uh, deep impact podcast from the media MD guys has joined the doof media podcast network. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I don't know what we, I th- we the, changes what it's called every, are, constantly. Or the Doof, the Doof Partners Network, perhaps. The Doof, ne- the Doof work. We actually have an official name for it. I we just do. haven't I've learned just, it yet. And just totally uh, so, but anyway, um, <laughs> that that means I don't know what does that mean. That means we're we're all kind of under under this label now, um, supporting supporting Doof Media on Patreon now supports uh, the Deep Impact podcast too. Is is yeah. one thing that might be relevant to know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really exciting. Like we had been talking about this podcast 
for the last few episodes, I think, because um, you you have been reading Pact and you've been listening to the podcast. I have not yet. So I just kind of listened a little bit. Um, not enough to spoil myself or anything, just to, like get a flavor for what they were going for. And we've been talking them up and um, I we had been listening to some of their other shows. They do another whole kind of variety show where they talk about all different kinds of media called Media MD. And uh, we really like what they did. And we're, we're always looking to expand and bring new shows under our. Well, I guess we have an umbrella to bring them under now, but we one of the things we always wanted to do was build a network, um, not just our shows, a network of, of like minded shows. And and now the 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 audience we have and the backers we have on Patreon are also supporting these guys. And um, they it allows us like it allows us to help them and allows them to grow and hopefully get more people. And we want to keep doing this. Um, but this is our little first foray into it and we're very very excited yeah yeah uh the important thing scott is now i understand the appeal of like the read-through format of one person hasn't read it and the other person has and so you're you're yeah. coming at it from i got gotcha. you yeah gotcha. it's nice yeah uh all right well yeah that's awesome we're really excited about that and uh, we hope everybody uh, goes and checks them out if they haven't yet. And yeah we do yeah. Read, reads packed if you haven't read packed yet i'm gonna i'm gonna read that that their book so soon all right. I'm still only halfway through the monstrosity that is a wise man's fear. Um, as soon as <laughs> I finish that, I read some Pact. Well, I just finished Pact last week, actually, and I adored it. So, Great. plus one. Yeah. All so, right. Yeah. Go, you can go to doofmedia.com to find Deep in Pact. It's on our website now. All the episodes should be up there. Um, if you're listening on YouTube, we haven't put it on YouTube yet, but I think we're planning to do that by the end of the week or the end. Yeah. By the start of next week, they should all be on YouTube as well. So, it's exciting. Yeah. End oh. of message. End of message. All right, let's get on into these <laughs> chapters. All right. 11.10. And we open with a reminder of where we just left off. Uh, one of the treacherous mercenaries told Victoria that the bad guys have sliced and diced their teammates. Uh, she experiences physical symptoms of powerful anxiety, like trembling, and she effortfully yeah. controls her voice and, and, her, and her response and her poise um, after she hears this. Yeah, it's like I love that we start off like almost continuing one of the threads we were talking about last week where like we had we had commented that um, Victoria is downing an entire bottle of cough syrup and right. like just trying to do whatever she can to get through. And and so we're seeing a reflection of just how bad she's doing. Um, and and it's it's kind of insane. Like, I think this this is a good level set, too, for what's going to happen by the end of this week's reading, because just thinking about her friends being chopped up into pieces is is enough to make her physically tremble like this. And and like, I can't imagine when we get to the part where she actually ta- is there with them and sees it, you know? Right. Yeah. Because I mean, so the story has set this up where she got to spend time with the navigators. She got to really see and feel the consequences of what happened to them and it was it was horrible for her and yeah. now she's contemplating that this same thing has happened to her teammates who she knows and 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 likes and you know in some case yeah very, that's a great very point. fond of yeah i mean yeah the, the fact like well especially because and we're, we'll get into this i think during this week's reading but this whole like her mission is to stop what happened to her happening to other people like that's one of her big goals is i want to stop this from happening to other people and this is a failure point in her mind in that like i've like what has happened to the navigators i wasn't able to prevent what is now going to happen to people i really really care about i'm failing to prevent Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I do like that in in this whole bit, though, we do have this moment where she she zooms in to Sveta immediately, right? Like she's repeating the phrase sliced and diced a bunch of your buddies, which is what the mercenary tells her. And her head is like immediately Sveta. And we've talked a couple times throughout this arc about this idea that Victoria is dealing with the weld news in a very specific way, i.e. not Mm -hmm. at all. And um, we'll see some emotion powers later on in this chapter kind of push that thought to the front of her mind, even though she doesn't want to. But I like here like this, this little bit that when she knows her team is hurt, the first person she the first person that jumps into her head is Sveta, the closest member on the team to her. And that doesn't downplay her, her concern for the rest of the team. Right. Like that's not saying that she's like not not worried about the rest of them, but it's just it's just reinforcing this idea that Sveta out of all these people is the one that she's closest with, the one she feels the most towards. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense, actually, because like, as I was saying, you know, she, she's very fond of different members of the team. Some of them definitely more than others. And in Sveta, yes. she has literally called her best friend. Yep. Um, so that makes sense that that's where her head would go. And it makes us feel it, too. Right. It's mm-hmm. like that's that's one thing about stakes in general is if you tell me uh, the world is in danger, I don't feel anything. If you tell yeah. me like a handful of your friends are in danger, then I feel something. If you tell me your best friend is in danger then you actually feel a little bit more maybe even than that. Absolutely. So. Yeah. It shrinks it down to the most personal level for her. Yep. Yeah. So the team tries to figure out how to proceed and the chapter uh, is doing that helpful thing where it reminds us what's going on and who is where in general uh-huh. so that we can understand the character's reasoning as they come to their conclusions. Um, and also I think from a character point of view, Victoria is taking refuge in Cape Geekery and I'm able to make this specific deep analytic reading based on the following line. I continued to find refuge in geekery. Oh, wise, wise Matt. How, how do you pluck such insightful insight and analysis from the depths of this book's text? How, how do you do it? It's I just, grovel. It's just what I, I do. grovel before you. Yeah, no, but I, I think this is good. And I mean, the reason why this is so explicit here is because this is what Victoria is going to do a lot throughout these two chapters. So we set it up here and make it as explicit as possible. You know, one of the things Victoria does when she's getting overwhelmed and she feels like she's losing, um, she's losing control of the situation. She dives into her geekery. She, it's a, it's a refuge for her. And she's going to do that in the next chapter. In the next chapter, there is a huge, probably maybe fifth of the chapter that is her just like geeking out on breakers at, strategically right she's not just doing it for fun but i mean part of that is how she is dealing and processing and then like like stepping away from the direness of the situation into um into what's going on here yeah i mean she always she always leverages her her encyclopedic knowledge of all things parahuman when she's fighting but but i i completely agree that this is a pair of chapters where it, it kind of gets dialed up to 11 where there's just like consecutive paragraphs of her like problem solving in her head yeah, based on like the smallest clue that she sees. Yeah. And I think that would be fun on its own and cool to see on its own. And maybe you could imply by reading that, that this is something she's doing to kind of cope with the, the stakes and how bad things are. But we don't have to imply because here in this chapter, we state it, you know, very explicitly. This mm-hmm. is what she's doing and this will be what she continues to do. Right. Yep. So uh, before we get there, though, we're, st- we're still, you know, we haven't got to the fight yet. So basically, yeah. uh, Victoria is is trying to get information. So first she grills, Victoria grills foil on what March is after exactly. 
and they talk about it, but it's mainly like a lot of conjecture. Yeah, there's not, there's not, I mean, March is this big mystery. And, and I think for a very understandable reason that I think we'll, what we're going to get to in a big way, um, in the future. But, uh, one of the, the, the bits of the conjecture that really jumped out at me here was rain, um, like brings up the idea of emotional bleed through in clusters again, mm-hmm. which is something that we haven't really talked about in a while. Um, he specifically like presses foil on, do you think there's any kind of emotional bleed through type of thing? She kind of shuts him down. She's like, no, that's not what's going on here. Um, and I, I do think this serves like structurally and functionally as a, a gentle reminder to the audience that that is something that's still, kind of, you know, whirling around there in the ether. We don't know. We we have several characters who think this is exactly what happened, but we don't know for sure whether that's true or not. And we have Rain kind of moving on a crash course towards his cluster mates again. Um, there's going to be a big conflict coming up. Like, it, it, the lines seem to be drawn that way. So it's a good time to bring up this idea again because we're probably going to be exploring whether this is true or not. Mm-hmm. Um, w- with, you know, if, if another member of the cluster dies... How does that affect people? How are they going to act as they die like Snag did? And we might be confirming or, or denying this thing. So if we're going to confirm or deny it, we got to remind people that it exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's a fantastic point where, you know, the, the purpose of having Rain, I think, be with Victoria specifically is to really bring him and his issues and his character to the forefront of our mind. Because as you say, that's what's really most relevant as we're fighting kind of his nemesis or two of his nemesises. So eventually they commit to uh, that wonderful taboo of asking Foil about her trigger event. And we now finally, after millions of words of parahumans, we learn the general general outline of uh, Foil's trigger event. So apparently she was a kid in the foster system, and some of her older siblings were left out of the foster system to fend for themselves. One of them became homeless and then ended up attacking Lily on a subway platform. Uh, Foil isn't clear on what role March was actually playing here, why she triggered, uh, and the third cluster member is someone that Foil also doesn't know much about. So it, it's very interesting because it, it's cool to know this information, but uh, it, it tells us kind of like intentionally frustratingly little about right. the nature of, of the situation and, and why, like, like why March might be the way she is and why her cluster might be the way it is. Yeah, I think it gives enough to where you can make educated guesses on why their powers might have expressed themselves in the way that they have. But you're, but you're absolutely right. Like this is not, this is the bare minimum of info and it feels like a designed bare minimum of info. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because like this idea of March and who March is and what March wants and how all this happened seems to be like one of the big, um, uh, mysteries of, like the uh, of the story so far like we know this, this we have this idea of um these th- this cluster um and like what she she's gathering clusters that has something to do with this big this big thing that's the key to everything possibly and so we don't want to you know reveal all that just now like it's we're, we're we're leading up to something so a little a little bare minimum information and uh it's it's laying it's laying the the tracks for more information <laughs> i get it Um, so Victoria wonders out loud uh, a number of interesting possibilities like for example maybe there was a power involved in the trigger event which would explain uh, in Victoria's mind why Foil's power is so strong Mm -hmm. Um, or maybe 
why March is so particularly dialed in to like how clusters work since she's the one who figured out this this hack. Yeah. And that's I mean, how how clusters work, how this cluster works. All of these are like one of like we said, the big unanswered questions in the story, and they are seeming to relate to the the broken trigger idea, this well of energy that people keep seeing when they trigger. They all seem to be related and and we'll we'll get mixed into more how they're related when we when we deal with cult in the next chapter. But um, yeah, this is this is the central mystery of the story so far, and it makes sense that we're not going to get it in a exposition uh, story from foil yet. Yeah, th- this uh, this conversation reminds me that March, you know, had speaking lines in the prelude to the story. So uh, obviously her presence is sort of fundamental to everything that's going on here. Yeah, that's true. She was the one with the answers, right? Like we had uh, in in the, the prologue, we had, I guess it was Rain looking for answers to mm-hmm. his question and she was the one offering them. And here, uh, almost a million words later we still haven't really gotten answers to those questions yet because they're so important to the, the story at large. Yeah. And, and Colt's presence in the story hasn't actually really shed any light on how Rain's cluster works either. It's just, it's, it's all, it's all very mysterious and uh, yeah. it, it, more experience, uh, more mysterious now, if anything. Yeah. So Foyle goes on to explain that March kept joining the villain teams uh, in, I guess it was New York. Um, just so that she would have an excuse to fight foil and that f- further that March always considered it a game. Yeah. I love that the text needs to differentiate between <laughs> a game in the March sense and the game in the cops and robbers sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's just a wonderfully delightful, but consistent beat there where they, we need to try to draw a difference between these two things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that this is all a game, like seems to really frustrate Mark. Uh, to March seems to really frustrate foil. Like she saw herself as the consummate professional. She took this stuff very seriously and she had this nagging person following her around that all thought it was fun and games. I do like that. We get this little window into, um, into why, why that might be, why she treated as a game from candy's perspective, who after that states something about how making it a game is, uh, is how you cope with it. She says the worse something is, the more you have to treat it like it's nothing, which is, I think a cool lens into maybe like the complicated past of March and what's going on with her. Um, but uh, it also more importantly is a little window into why the heartbroken are the way they are, right? Like we've been talking about these characters that are just like, so like kind of off the wall, ridiculous sometimes with this, this concerning undertone to them. And, and this is a little window into, why they act that way and and they seem aware of it that they like you can't take this stuff you have to treat it like it's nothing or then it's everything yeah right there that's that's how they've chosen to basically kind of recalibrate their sense of what is something they can deal with and some of the some of them handle it differently than others but i think candy's definitely one who you can you can actually say like her way of dealing with it has been to act like it's also blasé and yeah and doesn't affect her yeah yeah it's sad it's really sad yeah. before we move on though i just wanted to highlight this one moment as well because victoria is waiting for foil to dish on her story and foil is really hesitating like she drew in a deep deep breath then she hesitated which was annoying but annoying was better than freaking out over what might be happening to sveta and then she immediately shifts to that you know italicized internal monologue bit and says answers we find them. We help others. If needed, we break all of Cradle's limbs and get him to tell us how to undo what he did to the navigators. 
and I, I love this little window into Victoria's state of mind here, right? Like, like she's she's mildly annoyed at Fi- as Foyle hesitating here, but she's recognizing that annoyance um, and, and how it is at least better than a f- than freaking out. But even thinking about how that annoyance is better than freaking out kind of makes her internally freak out. And she's like, I'm going to torture Cradle. I'm going to break all his limbs until he tells me what I need to know. Um, and that's... Uh, like a little a little disturbing in in how like extreme she's willing to go at this point um whether i mean whether or not it's deserved or not like she's she's in a a really angry annoyed place um and she's going to be confronting these people right i mean it's definitely worth pointing out as as we kind of track through the story over over these many arcs and chapters that even when she was fighting goddess or the fallen um she 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 didn't have this like edge of bloody mindedness to it like yeah, yeah. i mean she she crushed um Veilfor's jaw but like she wasn't like fantasizing about doing it beforehand yeah like and you know she, she basically it, it's all been very utilitarian and like okay well this is this is according to the warrior monk the the necessary right it's necessary yeah this is just her like not that she's like excited about the prospect of hurting someone, but no. she's so angry that she's like already decided that she's willing to be, you know, to go to go too far, if you will, uh, relative to where she normally finds herself. Yeah. And I think I have a, a long almost essay written somewhere in the script that we're going to get to um, about <laughs> about this idea of um, the level of violence that she's going to be uh, enacting on people. Um and I, cause I think it's, it's an important, it's an important beat for her character. It's an important shift in her thinking. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when the team returns to the van that they arrived in, they question the van driver and then they knock his ass out. <laughs> Take that, uh, potentially traitorous dude. <laughs> we didn't actually know for sure, but it just, it makes, it makes things better. Yep. You're, you're probably yeah. in it. Yeah. I, I do I do love there's this one part that I love um, so much and it's this perfect window into Victoria's mindset right now as she's trying to ponder what she and the team needs to do next she's thinking okay we have two options here we have fight or flight and she sees as they walk towards the van she sees the man the the driver that they're about to knock out freeze in place and she thinks to herself freeze is another option for the guy not for us other people couldn't afford for us to freeze and I love this so much because this is this is a perfect window into Victoria. This is this idea of I have to do something. It can be attacking. It can be retreating. But I can't stand still. I can't do nothing. I have to I, like and it's and it's a different from Taylor's. I have to do something right because the flight option is there in her head. That is an option for us. You know, retreating, regrouping. That's something we've seen her do throughout the story. Like that's something we saw her do in the very first arc of the story was when she was around nursery just went nope yeah um we we like she had like she has these two options but the 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 middle option is not like she you have to make a choice you have to make a choice you have to do something you have to choose between one of these two things freezing is not an option that's not something that we have and that's victoria and that's like it's gotten her in trouble in the past it's um it's allowed her to save the day in the past but that is quintessentially who she is yeah, I love this, and I, I want to read a lot into the like the use of the word freeze too, because you, like I would I would actually call running due to fear 
like a kind of a kind of freezing. Like sure. what she's talking about when she's thinking about flight is she's thinking about like a strategic retreat in a situation right. where you where you have rationally concluded that you can't win. Yeah. And pretty much every time in her life or, you know, in the story that we've seen Victoria run away, it was like, oh, the Siberians here or something where it was like, yeah, you're, you, sh- you should run. That would be the smart thing to do. <laughs> um, uh, but but not just like I'm 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 afraid like she's never she's always either fighting because she's trying to win or she's fleeing because she knows that the smarter thing to do is to, is to get her allies and regroup or whatever. Yeah. So it's, I, I like that because like freeze to me is a very interesting word here where it's basically conveying almost something just along the lines of like act non-strategically. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, which she's, she that's just like anathema to who she is. Yeah, I like that. I mean, and and just to set up a, a point I'm going to make a little bit later in the episode, um, it is something that Colt is very bad at. Mm-hmm. Um, not freeze. No, it's freezing is something Colt is very good at. Choosing between the options is something Colt is very bad at. And Victoria uh, tells basically tells her to freeze um, mm-hmm. when she's trying to convince her of things. So I think this is maybe not an intentional setup, but it does play off each other very well, very well to Victoria doing nothing is not an option um to Colt doing nothing is usually the easiest option yeah I mean I, I want to go further and say that that Colt's power is to make people freeze it it presents them with a with complete indecision which it means you're neither making a strategic retreat nor a calculated attack you're just stuck in place yeah I love uh, that I love yeah, that I I, I <laughs> now that we've picked that out that really feels intentional <laughs> I think so yeah so Foil and Precipice have like an actual argument over who gets to drive the van. Uh, and then Victoria makes the leadership call uh, and says Rain gets to drive. Yeah, One of the things I've enjoyed most of in these last four chapters um, or few chapters, rather, I don't know how many is. And I think it's just because there's so few things to like enjoy from a oh, that's nice perspective um, because everything's so horrible. But it is is spending this extra time with rain and watching him kind of bounce off of each of the other characters on the team and observing how that goes. We see him bounce off of chastity and we see in that situation. Now we're kind of seeing this little spat between him and foil. And I think it's adorable because like you, you like you understand why rain, like he doesn't like, like push that hard against stuff sometimes, but like he does here. And I think it's because he sees in, in his view of himself, this, this kind of pessimistic, like downtrodden, I'm shitty at everything kind of view. He's like, driving's the one thing I'm good at. Um, I, I need, I need, th- you have to let me do this because it's the one thing I'm good at. And Foyle's like, no, my power makes me better at it. And he's like, no, but this is, this is what I got. And, um, Victoria sides with him, which is, I mean, she doesn't specifically say she's doing it like strategically because he needs to pick me up or he needs to win or whatever. But I, I kind of, I think it might not be explicit subtext, but you can kind of feel it there. Yeah, I agree with you there. I also just felt like it was funny because I could put myself in Rain's position where I where I'm like, yeah, I I know how to drive. I'm an experienced driver. And and someone were like, well, I have a superpower that gives me a sense of timing and angles. I'd be like, good for you. That doesn't mean you know how to drive. Yeah, fuck you too. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) Like, I don't don't know. I mean, it's, it's funny that I actually took Rain's side in this in my head. Um, but anyway, that is funny. I was, I was totally like, yeah, foil should drive (laughs) (laughs) just seems better. Well, now we can start a new thread. That's uh, rain versus foil. Who should have been allowed to drive? It's the new, uh, was St. Right or wrong? Yeah. I, there we go. That's it. (laughs) 
so now important moment uh victoria gives foil a gun which is just the fascinating character moment to me yeah, because it is. this has been a consistent beat throughout the story this is victoria who felt sick to her stomach that guns were involved in the fallen conflict at all um who felt absolutely like betrayed that fume hood got shot at the community center brawl at the start of the story guns have been this this constant drumbeat of of just something that she just found completely unacceptable throughout the whole story. They yeah. symbolize everything that she hates about, about the denigration of the Cape scene. And now here she is condoning, nay, ordering the use of a handgun in a Cape yeah. fight. Yeah. And, and I know what you're thinking, YouTube commenters, <laughs> you're thinking this isn't that big of a deal because functionally a crossbow bolt with foils power on it isn't any different from a bullet. And you're right. Except, it is <laughs> because what matters here is not the end effect of the weapon. What matters here is not the weapon itself. What matters here is just as Matt pointed out is, is our protagonist characters changing viewpoint on the necessity of the weapon. And it does show a shift in Victoria. And, and yes, the shift could be brought about by necessities of the world she lives in. Yes, you could absolutely make the argument. The idea that we can't use guns anymore is a foolish one because the world has gotten worse Things have got stakes have gotten higher. Violence is more prominent in these cape fights and we need to do this. That all can be true. And it still is a shift in how the protagonist feels about the usage of guns amongst cape battles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even if she's even if she felt the same way about it, it would indicate that her view of how bad things have gotten is such that well okay now this is necessary yeah. uh, and she and, and we know already that she feels terrible about that fact and and i also i mean i like that it's foil that she gives it to and i like that you can i i, I like that you can make the argument oh it doesn't matter so much because the thing is you kind of like somewhere in victoria's head she might be making that same argument this isn't a big deal foil's power is already more powerful than a handgun so mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not making that big of a change by giving foil a gun but that's that's like exactly the kind of line of reasoning that you use to justify, you know, this choice. And then the next time somebody else has a gun and then you say, well, I did right. give foil a gun. So, you know. Right. And that, and that I think that is the point. But, you know, like like I think sometimes we get lost in the is this, you know, right or wrong based on X standard or Y standard. I don't think that matters. I think the point is Victoria felt a certain way. Now Victoria feels a different way. Mm -hmm. And and that's. That's a, a progress of a character down a path. Yep. Um, whether or not it's a good path or a bad path, I don't care. But that is a change that she's going through, and we're going to have to see the consequences of that change one way or the other. Yep. So we just get this little moment where they're talking about um, the prospect of tying up the mercenaries and the villains they've captured, and uh, they mention the idea that maybe you don't want to tie people up because they might react really badly, and then uh, one of the two heartbroken women says, ah, I know someone like that, except, except, uh, not being tied up. She freaks out and sometimes even barfs every time she gets tied up. Um, yeah. yeah. Poor Darlene. Yep. I, I wonder like if this is one of those, um, we implied this in chapter a, but not enough people got it. So here's me reinforcing it a hundred percent in chapter B just to make sure you've all gotten it things, you know, maybe. Yeah. I, I think I, I, I'm not sure exactly the function of it. I mean, it definitely, it reminds us, oh yeah, that happened. Um, I guess, I guess we're, it's keeping us in the headspace of like, oh yeah, that chapter, 
that we just, you know, we just read. Uh, yeah. It needs to be, it needs to be at the forefront of our minds because it's relevant right now. Sure. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So Victoria flies along outside the van to serve as a point of support in case it's needed. And uh, then, like, as she's flying, she painstakingly uses her Kenzie wristband to zoom in on the red team, which is the one that um, was captured uh, whole. I don't like your wording there. It's mean. I don't like it. Don't yeah. like it. Okay. But I, I think I think I like that you pulled this out, though, because structurally, I think this is why this chapter in particular works so well. We have these other two teams. They're captured. We know one of them's in pieces. Victoria doesn't know that, but we do. Um, we know the other team is just captured and she's trying to make a decision. She's trying to decide to go forward, to, to fight or fly, um, how to do this, what to do. And, and and the urgence is there because she continues to check this thing in the first half of the chapter. She continues to check the map and see that the one team is moving away from her. It's moving towards the university, it feels like. Um, and if it gets there where the other team is, that's not good. Um, and, and it's just, it just, you know, like really helps elevate the tension here as she's trying to make these decisions. Um, and I think that's why this chapter is as propulsive as it is. I don't know. I can't say that word today. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think maybe structurally serving a similar purpose to that line about that, that line kind of obliquely referencing Darlene that we just got where it's, we're with Victoria here, but we're being reminded Hey, these are the stakes. This is what just happened. This is what's going on. Um, let that lend a little bit of dread to, to this moment. Yeah, yeah. So Victoria continues a few more short conversations with various people while she's flying along with the van. But all these uh, conversations are hampered by the wind and other logistical difficulties. The most interesting one to me is foil sharing of what's going on with Tattletale. And it's just... For me, it might be the most like fascinating part of these two chapters and, and, and the part that I thought about the most, which may be odd, but there it is. Uh, because like it seems to me that Tattletale's read on foil is actually just wrong or at least mm. biased in, a, in like a completely negative way to the extent that it might as well be wrong. Because what we're seeing is that Li- Lily actually cares about Tattletale at least somewhat. And it's put a lot of thought into how she, in, into how Tattletale thinks, what she's doing, like how she operates and why she is the way she is, and foils downright defensive of Tattletale. Yeah, and that, that just clashes so amazingly with Tattletale's obvious <laughs> view of of how Foil sees her. Yeah, I, I I loved this absolutely. It was so great, and, and I I think you're absolutely right that like. You know, I think you still see enough of Foyle's opinion on Tattletale in this section to understand where Lisa's reading came from. Right. Like she acknowledges that she finds uh, Tattletale manipulative. She does say that her view on her isn't charitable. She basically says she can be a total bitch sometimes. Um, and that's the part of Foyle's opinion that Tattletale got to read on. Right. The part mm-hmm. that admits that she's not charitable, that admits she can be a real bitch. Um, that's the part that Tattletale picked up on the rest of it. She didn't this, this, this part where she like understands her on a level that I don't think we, anyone has, has audibly understood Lisa in this story yet. Um, the thing that I found most fascinating with this is like, we, I think we had this, like this image of who Tattletale was and it was like, it was like floating around and I just didn't have like a good way to describe it. And then 
Foil starts talking and like all all of my like emotion based image of who Tattletale was like started slotting into this frame that that the things that Foil is saying represent. So it's just like it's not like we learned this this new information about about Lisa, right? Like there's no big reveal moment here. It's just the, the behavior starts to make sense based on this frame. Um, why she's like so miserable, why all this stuff happening is starting to slot into this thing. And it's just like this perfect this moment of clarity where you're just like, of course, of course, that's the way it is. Yeah. And it's it's even more beautiful again because it's foil saying it. It's this character who we've been told through the text kind of indirectly like oh foil hates tattletale yeah it's like no and the fact that you're wrong about that says a lot (laughs) yeah 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 absolutely and before we move on i do want to talk about the setting of this conversation because i do think it matters um as, as you said they're flying along through the air um foil is sitting in a car with the window down talking to victoria who's flying along and and rachel is there um, riding a dog and the wind is blowing. It's really loud. Um, Rachel has like super good hearing, which I don't remember that being a thing in the past. Was it? I don't, don't remember. Recall. Don't recall. Um, that feels like it's something new. Um, anyway, I just, I love the setting because like, first of all, it has to make sense functionally because we've just half the chapter so far has been us talking about what we're going to do next. And we finally pick something and we're going towards it. And we want to have this character beat moment, but we can't have characters sit around and talk anymore because like we've just defined how tense and immediate the stakes are. So it has to happen on the move. Um, And then we do it in this, this way where like we have these characters who have such complicated feelings about this person and it's told in like the most, difficult way possible where they're like screaming at each other they can barely hear each other it's like this difficult complex conversation set in an environment that is super complex and hard to understand and i think like that setting just fits what we're talking about so perfectly yeah right like like you're not sure if the other people are hearing everything you're saying and you're having trouble hearing parts of what they're saying and it's like yeah that's a metaphor for this whole thing yep Yep. it's happening yeah i'm glad you pointed out how kind of interesting this scene is because my visual brain then like rendered like the shot like you're looking like you're looking at the profile of foil out the car window and then you're seeing victoria kind of hanging on to the to the window and then the background of the shot is rachel and her dog yeah i want this fan art <laughs> it's really great yeah. yeah yeah no it's it's a really cool it's a really cool scene like <laughs> there's never there's very few just sitting sitting on couches scenes yeah um, at least in this part of the story, certainly. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the, um, this foil dialogue, I love how this kind of wraps up where she says, um, except they're okay. Now foils expression had changed below her visor. She was almost smiling, but it was a sad smile. Imp's okay. Rachel's okay. Now Perry and I are okay. Heartbroken or less broken than ever. New Brockton was even okay. The ones who aren't or who couldn't be okay are dead. Sorry, I read that last sentence in that tone. Um, yeah. But but anyway, they're very happy about the, it. They're the, dead. They're dead. They're not a problem anymore. Um, but the the point is that like this is definitely not how Tattletale sees it. Like yeah. for, for Tattletale, everything is dire. Everybody is on the edge of annihilation, and nobody likes her. Yep. Yep. You're absolutely right. And and that is such a perfect window into why she behaves the way she does. Yep. And then she goes on and says she has a purpose, but it's killing her. She looks after the city. It's that thing that drains her and brings out the worst in her. 
It doesn't fill that need she has, but she does it because she has to. I love this so much. I, I love this idea um, that, that, that she's not doing the thing she's meant to be doing, right? Like this, that this idea that the actual citywide control is just not the ideal use of her power. It's not where it shines. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's functional, but it it's not using it its best. And it, and it also doesn't fill her trauma driven need there. She's yeah. doing it because she feels like she has to. Yeah. It feels like a, conflict between character wants and character needs right being being conveyed fairly directly and i mean yeah it's 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 fundamentally why she's in the situation she's in and and why she's continually wound up in the situations she's wound up in throughout the story yeah and it also means that she's like she's like spinning out like reaching for new projects i mean that's the one thing they say here is that she sets her sight on chicken little as the next project here's the next person i'm going to help here's a, a, a someone in need and my trauma m- requires me to try to help them along and once again foil says he's relatively okay too i mean mm-hmm. like yeah the people everyone has a little bit of problems but like aiden's Okay, and by trying to aid aid him, <laughs> um, she could actually only hurt herself, only hurt him, drive him away. Like, and this is stuff that she struggled with throughout the entire story, right? Like, I mean, this is she sets her sights on people. She says, "This person needs me. I need to help them," and she does that in horribly destructive ways. In the end, I mean, we talked in Worm about how lisa served as an enabler for some of taylor's worst tendencies and she was there to always help out when taylor wanted to do something she was there to make sure she could do it and make sure she was successful with it and we could be seeing that cycle play out again unless someone chops her into pieces (laughs) yeah no i mean it's fascinating that now that we've i mean we've been inside her head twice but it was in this last inter this this you know ward tattletale interlude where we really saw like obviously she doesn't see herself as an enabler obviously she thinks this is all absolutely necessary behavior and she's yeah she's helping and in fact she in her mind she may be the only thing keeping these people away from self-destruction or whatever and it's like yeah "Yeah, i I mean that's uh uh self-serving doesn't feel like the right word it's because because she doesn't want them to suffer it's just that's how she sees it she just yeah and and now like i think I'm kind of coming around to the view that like maybe the reason she sees it that way is that her power is constantly feeding her just the information she needs to believe that everything is dire so that she's motivated to act on it. Yeah, I think I think that is very that is very in tune with both the the trauma with her character, with with what shards would do to fuck with you. I think that that lines up uh, on all accounts. So I completely agree. Cool. And I think the one thing we have to say before we move on here is how similar this is to Victoria in some respects, right? Like Victoria, like Lisa, is this person who is running herself ragged trying to save the city. She's doing it in a different way than Tattletail does it. They're very different people, but they are both pushing themselves to the extreme to try to save everyone. They, got, they have their projects. She, like We're going to see it when, when Victoria gets hit by the anxiety blast, when she's forced by this emotional power to list out every single thing that's making her anxious. And we see how long and full and insane the list is, just like we've seen earlier in this book. And like it's so funny to me how similar these characters can be in times. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's great. I didn't, I didn't pick that out actually, but I, I love that. So, um, 
yeah. So it's time. It's time. It's time for fighting. So the van is ambushed by a nail biter, uh, but the heroes are ready for it, mostly due to Victoria's good battlefield leadership leading their team to already be kind of prepared for an attack. Um, you know, I think we should talk more in general about Victoria's like leadership qualities, especially as a as a field commander. Yeah, I think it's really good. And it's it's good in a very interesting way. Um, we've kind of compared and contrasted her, how her battlefield like leadership and lines up with Taylor's and how they're different. Um, I mean, like like hers is very much you know, scholarly based, whereas this Taylor's is very much more instinctual based. The thing that I like about it and the thing that I really saw throughout this uh, fight is in Worm, we w- Taylor would be fighting and she would be, you know, leading or being the tactician of the group. And we would see it all kind of happening, right? Like she would be checking out all the different fights and what's going on in this fight. There's a lot of different people fighting a lot of different people. And Victoria occasionally like like flies up in the air and like, catches herself up on what's going on but like we don't see rachel beat nailbiter like mm-hmm. we don't see that happen we don't see these other fights that go on and those characters win because her tactical awareness is a different kind right it's not the same thing it's not this like broad battlefield awareness and i i like that it's like it's still enough to give us clarity as far as the what is happening goes but it is it is different it is like she flies up in the air um you know helps commands some troops, moves people in different places and then dives into her part and we lose vision on all that other stuff. And then we don't come back to it again until she's done with her skirmish or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. Like she's, she's having to make leadership calls using a much more narrow, um, focus and, uh, usually still making great calls. Yeah. I mean, I guess while we're on the topic of kind of comparing her to Taylor, it, a, a lot of her cognition during the fighting is on this kind of like mental loop of, all right, let me determine what the right thing to do here is. Not just right. Not just how do I achieve objective X, because achieving objective X may be most efficiently achieved by picking up a car and smashing someone with it. But that's not where her head is at. She's trying to she's trying to calculate not just how do I how do we win, but how do we win in a way that preserves like these fifteen bullet points of like team reputation and not injuring anyone too badly and yeah. making sure that no one is put in a situation that would trigger their horrible trauma. And like, that's for me, that's a lot of the fun of, of Victoria being the protagonist actually is, is the, just like the wonderful moral rectitude of her inner <laughs> life. Like, right. I, I don't know. It's, it's uh it's like Jean-Luc Picard is a, is a superhero. Yeah, I mean, it's like we've always talked about in these stories how the heroes kind of have to fight with one hand tied behind their back. Mm -hmm. And we're now seeing what the point of view of that tied hand looks like. Right. We're we're like surveying, strategizing and planning with the knowledge right there that the thing that I could do to definitely win the fight is something I'm not willing to do. Yeah. Um, Doesn't stop the fights from being awesome, though. No, it doesn't. We're going to get into that now. So. Um, Victoria's foot is clipped by one of Nailbiter's nails, which sounds really painful. Like that sounds more painful to me than like uh, the other stuff that happens in this arc for some reason. Does it, does it really sound more painful than the other things that happen in this arc? You know, I can imagine 
having a nail stabbed through my foot. <laughs> I can't actually imagine having something like severed with a whip of energy or whatever it is. All right, that's fair. So that's, fair. that's where I'm coming from there. It also like coolly makes it so she can't like walk for the rest of the fight and she's basically flying. Mm-hmm. Even when she's on the ground, she's basically hovering the entire time, which is. I, yeah, I'm glad cool. you pointed that out because I thought that was that was a nice moment not only is it just cool um but it's also this this little tiny thing we've seen this development of her becoming more and more reliant and you know being willing to exploit her powers over the course of the story we mentioned this many times at the beginning of the story she wasn't even flying it was a big deal that she flew somewhere now she is basically stuck always flying because her foot is injured and i mean that seems that feels very intentional to me yeah so the team is attacked by a mysterious breaker, a flyer with long, wild, silver, glowy hair, black cutting blades, uh, and a momentum-canceling power, uh, and an emotions power, too. Uh-oh. Hey, those sound really familiar, Matt. It's like someone took all Rain's power and made them, like, good or something. <laughs> yeah. But but that would mean that... I See, I'm not even sure what that means, but yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, we yeah, guess who it is pretty much immediately, but it's still kind of, but, but why? But why did this happen? So yeah, the emotions power hits Victoria and it's a flood of anxiety and uncertainty overwhelming her with a chaotic jumble of every single thing she's worried about. We get several paragraphs of all the overwhelming difficulties and obligations that are stacked upon our protagonist. Yeah, and this is what we were talking about earlier. I mean, like, I know that this is the work of a power bringing these to the surface, but one of the things we have to that is true throughout every single one of these specifically rain cluster emotion powers is they don't like create those thoughts right they just bring them to the surface like the the emotion pulls those to the surface so like this is all true stuff that she's in somewhere in the back of her mind always thinking about and here it is right here on the surface and you just see how overwhelming it is mm-hmm. and then uh, we learn later that this is a, a a weakened version of this attack because she's slightly resistant to it, which is just like, <laughs> right. Um, a YouTube user and, and uh doof supporter patron, uh, Jay maniac has been making these YouTube videos that are like talking about how wild though, basically makes certain powers serve the function of different narrative tropes or, mm-hmm. or, or narrative sort of, uh, modalities and functions. Yeah. And my, like, uh, I, I almost want to call, this emotion power, the stakes power, because it, <laughs> it, it, it reminds you of, of all of the stakes that Victoria is juggling. And only some of them are like, I have to, I have to keep people safe from, from violence. Many of them are just like, I want to, I want to shepherd the young heroes and stuff like that. Like just things yeah. where, where it's, it's stuff that she needs to feel like she's, being a good person in the world but it's it's all pressing on her just as much you know yeah not all to the same degree of course but like she i just think this is a great way of of reminding us who this character is is to remind us what are all the things that she worries about yeah i mean I, you're absolutely right like the, these emotion powers are so fascinating because each and every one of them serves a narrative function for our main character like it, like we have we have snags all the way back in um, the beginning of the story and how how 
utterly cutting his despair was on Victoria. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the regret, regret and, and doubt that rain gives her, um, the anxiety that she gets here later in the next chapter, she's going to get full on rage as she's fighting, um, love lost. It's just, it's just a perfect kind of encapsulation of what our characters going through at the given moment made manifest in the literal through a genre story. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Is, is, uh, the only one she hasn't been subjected to yet cradles. Is that accurate? I think so because we're still very unclear as to what his actually is. That's the one I think we're still, we're still not sure. I don't think, I think we've seen right. it. Yeah, no, that that's really cool though, that, that she gets, we, we knock out both love lost and, and the new cluster member in this chapter. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's cool. I wonder if that suggests anything about what's going to happen in the future. You're doing it again. <laughs> We were supposed to record this episode on Monday, and I was so excited to get to the end of the last chapter and be like, so, Matt, what do you think is going to happen next? And you wouldn't be able to just deflect the answer. I know. But then we had to change the recording date, and it's ruined. But you know that when I make statements like that, they're statements from the simulated Matt who hasn't read the chapter that I have in my head. Yeah, oh, sure. Because after doing the whole Worm podcast for a year, I split into two people, one of whom basically hadn't read any of the future chapters <laughs> anyway I, I like that version better <laughs> well that's who you're talking to right now <laughs> so the mysterious breaker uh cuts down a lamppost and it crashes in front of the van and causes the van to crash and i like tip over i think it's, it's a pretty bad crash actually I, I like how we don't actually learn whether chastity canceled out her power or not so we're just uncertain as to whether she got that backlash and now Lord of loss is awake again. Uh, we're just, so basically yeah, we're, we're not sure how bad this was that this happened. Yeah. It, it, it's great. But like, there is that moment where you're like, Oh shit, did they just, just go from bad to worse? Like from a storytelling perspective though, I'm really glad we didn't like free, uh, Lord of loss and have to fight him again here. Like I love that fight so much. Yeah. We don't need to do that again. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. So it, it's a cool, like, holy shit, did this just get really bad moment? But you're like, oh, thank God. Yeah. We're not, we're not doing that. Yeah. I agree. Um, and uh, then the chapter ends because certain readers need things to be spelled out for us really clearly. Those powers. What the hell had Love Lost done to add another member to Brain's cluster? And yeah, this might sound like Matt's being mean to you readers out there, but notice he said us there because uh-huh. he's talking about himself. Yeah. Let's analyze the word choice of Matt's uh, statement here. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's really great. I like I love that Victoria in all her nerdiness like goes there immediately. Right. Like and I think because Victoria has proven her cake geekery, there's I think an implied um, like. Like you trust her in that moment. Like you trust that, okay, she's jumping to a conclusion here, but, but because it's Victoria, you're like, okay, she's probably right there because she, if there's one thing she knows it's capes. Yep. Yep. And it's also narratively like the most delicious little mix on this whole thing that we've seen yet. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And And we don't learn anything about it yet. We just get this thing dropped and right. then we fight her and then we just don't get to find out. But I mean, this is fun because, yeah, it's a fun like what what's going on. And then like the next chapter, we pretty much learn. I mean, we don't really learn. We don't we don't learn why she joined the cluster like that. That cell doesn't make sense. But we yeah. learn pretty much everything about how her power set works in this next chapter and, and in a really fun and satisfying way. So 
you know, it's, it's paid off really quickly and that's fun. I mean, sometimes it's nice for a payoff to be delayed. Like that's storytelling, but it's fun that in this case, it's like, you know, let's just find out right now. Well, and if you delay part of the payoff, but not all of the payoff, it's inherently less frustrating because you feel like you're still learning something, even though you don't know the whole story yet. Good point. I like that. 1111. And this chapter starts in the midst of Victoria being hit with another litany of worries and anxieties. I love it so much. I love the fact that we start like in the middle of this emotional blast. Um, and, and once again, this allows us to get a little window into Victoria's mindset here. And we already talked about this, but I do, I just love that they don't create feelings. They just bring them to the surface. Um, and, and we see, we see like, I like the, the failing, like the, her failure with Chris and how that failed Jessica, like, and, and this is the moment where she finally admits to the Weld and Sveta situation. She admits that, yes, I'm worried about this. I'm anxious about this, but this thing was so easy to shove aside, um, when there was so much other stuff going on, but here it is at the surface. Um, and, and then she goes to the rest of the group. I'm worried about Kenzie and I'm worried about rain and about Tristan and about Byron and Ashley and damsel. And even Natalie. Yeah. <laughs> even Natalie. she still throws shade at Natalie in her head when she does. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Even yeah. Natalie. I'm worried about even Natalie. Yeah. Um, it's and then great. of course she says she, she ends with, I'm worried about her. She's worried about herself too, which is good. Cause you know, think about yourself, yeah, Victoria, you just sometimes you want to, you want to be selfish, but just to worry about yourself just a little bit. Yeah. I love all the emotion trigger, the emotion powers in the mall cluster because they're not really emotions. They're more like parts of you that are, that have the volume turned up way too loud. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the anxious part of you is always, I mean, every person has, has voices that inject their worries into their mind. And if you have a lot of those and it happens a lot, then you have anxiety. And if they happen a moderate and controllable amount, then, you know, you're just kind of going through your life and, and sometimes things worry you and sometimes you're fine. Yeah. Same can be said about, about the doubt, the doubt power too. Sometimes you doubt yourself. Sometimes you doubt yourself more than you should. And what these powers do is they just make that be the dominant thing in your mind. Right. I mean, anxiety attacks are real things and people go through them and they just hit you with no warning and you're completely debilitated from it. And that is that is this made manifest like that is exactly what's happening here. Right. And yeah, it's 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 so good. Yeah. Right. I mean, I I think I only just now thought of like phrasing it that way, but like they they are more than an emotion. Right. It's yeah. Oh, yeah. Emotion is is a simpler concept than what what is happening here. So, yeah, I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, so this, this time, uh, Victoria is struck by a piece of falling building while she's kind of zoned out in this anxiety attack, I I guess. I I like that label for it. Um, and she's almost injured, but she's saved by the wretch. Uh, so she realizes she needs to give this new mysterious breaker, uh, some distance. Um, uh, this, so, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, she thinks those feelings, the doubts, the hesitations, I knew where they were coming from. Somewhere down there, near the driver's seat, Precipice was extending his power up toward me. I had to face those feelings, use them to forge myself into someone more effective, or quash them. Were they useful to Victoria Dallin, the scholar, the warrior monk? Hell, I wouldn't even rule out the wretch. And I thought this was a fascinating paragraph. First of all, she's bringing back all of these kind of sub-personalities that she's yeah. concocted. But but I, I think it's fascinating that she's she views them this way. Are they useful? Because... Um, 
Like, this is a character who's let a lot of bad feelings control her life. And it's very interesting to see her apply this heuristic of, are these feelings useful? It kind of seems like a stage of recovery to me, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's this idea that she's had these, these really difficult to deal with feelings. And she's kind of been running from them in a bit, pushing them away, not thinking about them. Like, the entire concept of the warrior monk is to is to separate herself from certain feelings to not let her spiral out of control. But now because she has to, she's forcing rain to make her face her feelings of doubt. Mm -hmm. And that's something we didn't talk about earlier in last chapter. When she said, as they were driving to the location, she said to rain, hit me again. And you're like, wait, I thought that was just like, like Lord of loss is really hard to beat. And we just needed it for that fight. But she's like, no, just fucking nail me with doubt again. Keep doing it. Um, and, and yeah, so he's making, his power is making her face them. And, and that's, I think what you do, what you do in recovery, what you do when you're trying to get better is you, you take the feelings you're having and you either, if they serve a use, if they serve to teach you something, you deal with them. And if they're not, if they don't do that, if they have no use, if they're useless, if they're just, if, if, if they just need to be squashed, you get them out of there. You, you get rid of them. Mm-hmm. And that's what she's doing here. In effect, um, she's she's dealing with all these feelings she's had, and she's either deciding can they help me, can they make me better, um, or are they just useless feelings that need to be destroyed? And like, it doesn't matter to me that this is happening because of a power. Like, it doesn't matter to me that like this is happening because Rain's doing this to her. Because sometimes like we don't get to choose when we're forced to deal with our worst impulses and, and push our way through them. Sometimes that is thrust upon us by the situation. And I feel like that's what's happening here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I agree that it's a sign of growth and, and recovery because, you know, I think many different therapeutic modalities have this concept of, of like, are you, are you in the trauma and the emotion? Is it, it, does, does it feel like that's just how the world is? Or are you able to separate from it and look at it and and look at your mind doing that thing and yeah. say, that's that's there, but that's not me. And I can choose whether I want that to continue to influence me. Yeah. And you don't necessarily always have that option. Like 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 if if you're really if you're really just like freshly damaged by something you can't always just say like i'm going to just put that at arm's length and say i don't want to deal with that right now sometimes sometimes that just feels like how the world is to you yeah. but she's got to the point now where she's capable of taking a lot of these things that have been weighing on her and saying you know what i i i am capable of detaching from this a little bit in a way that is actually productive i think yeah i agree and and that's like that's one of the things about her whole kind of i refuse to forgive and forget um philosophy because she says if i forgive this if i move on from this then i will not have learned the lesson from it right that was like mm-hmm. the big reason she didn't want amy to erase her memory and 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 she doesn't want to be put herself in a situation where what happened to her will happen to her again so she's holding on to these feelings and and i think this is a way where you can look at the feeling you can look at the trauma and take the part of it that you can use to to make yourself better to um to survive in this world to um do those kind of things while getting rid of all the terrible parts that are like causing you to spiral and like destroying you and making you feel miserable 
um, you, you like you're able to if you, you, you can actualize yourself to do that. And and that kind of I, I just feel like that's what's happening. Yeah, I I agree completely. In fact, you said things just then that I was going to say in response to you. And uh, so, <laughs> well, there we go. So so I'm done. So I guess that means we have to move on. <laughs> yeah, I guess it does. Uh, and we move on to once again, Victoria, remembering what her mother has said in the past. Don't get angry, get even. My mother's words and my own voice running through my head, a condemnation, even though the tone was level, instructive, and precipice, Precipice's power was making that all the more pointed, turning every failure into a sharp, pointed lesson. And I think that that paragraph is fantastic to follow up, you know, to underline that beat we just mentioned. Yeah. Because, like, it's a sharp, painful lesson that you shouldn't dwell in negative emotions when you can do something about it. And it forces me to wonder how long these little lessons will persist once Rain's power like stops being actively applied. Is yeah. she now permanently really good at fighting Lord of Loss? And perhaps more interestingly, is she now permanently going to start evaluating her emotions based on their utility? Yeah, I mean, I think if we tie it back to that metaphor we were talking about, um, then hopefully right because it's like it's like a like you're not just it's not just temporary power induced learning you're actually taking steps forward you're actually getting better you're actually learning learning how to actualize a little bit better um and and move towards that recovery so i want to say yes um i don't know i I think like the the literal definition of it is is she going to be better at fighting lord of loss i don't know maybe probably but um, the the metaphorical, yes, this is going to stay with her. Yes, this is going to help her better handle her emotions and better know what to do. That feels like, yes, it feels like what this is going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess we like we haven't like we've talked about this in the entirety of it being positive, right? Like this is this is a positive experience for her. But it's also like like really emotionally devastating mm-hmm. while you're doing it. Like it doesn't feel good. Yes, you you might be taking steps and, and being able to remove yourself from feelings, but it also is like overwhelming to a really bad degree. And if you like confront too much of it too quickly, AKA tell rain to keep going, even when you're like miserable, it could backfire on you. Um, I think she, she's manages to get through it. Okay. In this chapter, but it's probably not a thing she should like do like daily. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really interested to see how it how we go on from here because I think I think what we're both saying is we see a lot of positive potential to this concept like yeah in terms of what it's saying about how about human nature, you know, um and about Victoria specifically as a character, but also there's always a flip side to it like you're saying like like it's certainly possible to like ruminate and blame yourself too much. Uh, learn lessons that aren't even really true, right? Yeah, that's true. That's um, true. Yeah. 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 Can we, before we go on, though, can we talk about how how awesome her relationship with her mom is like in the story, like how wonderfully complex, mm-hmm. like how often she returns to her guidance as a source of strength mm-hmm. in tough times while simultaneously like resenting her as a mother. It's it's so complicated and real to me. Like like it's almost like on the surface, you could see it as like well, so she's a terrible mother, but she taught you so much. Isn't that a little hypocritical? And the answer is no, it's not. This is just like what complex uh, family relationships are like. And I I just love it so much. Right, especially parent-child relationships. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So finally, uh, so Colt Colt attacks the van, uh, which Rachel is guarding with her dogs. And then 
uh, we're reminded that emotion powers don't work quite right on Rachel. Yeah, it's like it can confirm that when my puppy has anxiety, he doesn't act like a human with anxiety. <laughs> it's definitely a different thing. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, hey, Scott, is Rain's emotion power like directional or is he just dosing everybody in the vicinity when he does this? That's a good question. And I'm not sure I know the answer. I don't think it is like an aura type power because like there's a later beat in the chapter where Victoria kind of looks at Colt's power and notes that like she's flying and she has like an aura to her and says that's really similar to me. And like this is part of the whole kind of confusion of is she a new cluster? Is she a Trump? Like the thing that um, that that she's wondering, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it is definitely like a different kind of thing because it, it clearly has longer range than Victoria's. Um, I think I think it's probably directional. Um, it seems like it is. It seems like by now we would have heard about it if it wasn't right, because right. he was closer to Perry and Foyle, Candy and, and Chastity than he was to Victoria for that whole fight. And nobody said anything about, you know, being miserable to yeah. his power. So especially since we learned that, that Victoria's feeling of all these powers is a, uh, is a slower version of what everyone else is. So right. True. Yeah. If he was, if he was causing massive doubt to the people standing around him throughout that, that whole, uh, that whole fight, that'd be miserable. That seems like a pretty safe conclusion. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I like this fight with Nailbiter because Nailbiter seems to be one of those capes where she's too strong and lethal to really fit in well with the cops and robbers milieu. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mostly the heroes have reacted to her presence by running away. But this time, Rachel's dogs were enough of a threat to just kind of uh, keep like basically just keep just keeping them just keeping the dogs at bay uh, is hard enough that Nailbiter's kind of pinned in place which gives Victoria an opportunity to strike at her. Yeah. Um, it, it's a really good point that I hadn't really thought about previously. And I think it's like, it's a beat that we've seen a few times, these kind of powers that in the olden days wouldn't fit in. Um, and I wonder if it's fair to say that they're kind of, these powers are kind of flourishing now under this, this new world order that we're in. Um, mm-hmm. These, these powers that didn't fit into the old games are suddenly becoming so much more useful. Um, mm-hmm and and more devastating yeah i i think it makes sense that we're seeing rachel here and we're seeing her you know use her giant van sized dogs because that was kind of always an issue with rachel's like the undersiders like put her out in the boonies because they were like we can't really have you (laughs) using that on people yeah um and now she's like all right attack (laughs) attack yeah Uh, so and and then here we have victoria crosses another another line similar to to handing foil the gun in the last chapter where she uses the wretch in close proximity to Nailbiter, uh, aware that while Nailbiter is durable, she's not indestructible. And before she does this, she even gives the warrior monk time to protest. Yeah. I love that. I love that she gives the warrior monk three seconds. It's like three seconds for one part of her to convince the other part of her not to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that part tried to do it, it was overruled. I think she describes it as like the longest three seconds in her life or something. Um, because yeah, she does it. And, uh, we're going to talk about this, the, the implications of this in a bit, but I want to get through the, the actual meat of the fight first. Sure. So practically speaking, I think here she's able to act to like explore using her power in a new way. So basically she can let the wretch grab onto Nailbiter and then she can walk around inside the bubble 
of her fully retched out force field and then push on the inner surface of the force field. And the force field responds by providing no resistance to her and just making her movement super strong. So this is a cool new wrinkle in her power that we're learning pretty late in the story. And it's also, you know, fun to basically just good to know, right? Yeah, it's it's very new. And this idea of touching the wretch, making physical contact with this thing, it's this it's a sensation that we've never seen described in the story before. And and I just love if you track her relationship with the wretch throughout the story so far, we've gone from her never using it to, to hiding it from everyone and trying to use it very strategically to, uh, to kind of trying to work with it more. And now she's touching it. And I love like the text knows that this is a big moment because you can, you can tell how it describes it. A tense membrane, hard energy, my two years of waking nightmare. It slid under my hand, a length of stomach, back or thigh that was in the process of trying to get into place to do something. I could feel the curvature of it, my hand pressing against the inside of that nightmare shaped shell. I love, love the text there. It's so delicious. Like it, 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 it accurately reflects the importance and the horror that she must be feeling in this moment. But, but ultimately the necessity of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think I even kind of consciously had the, had the real, like the thought she hasn't touched the wretch uh, until you said it. Yeah. And, and yeah, a lot of kind of big strides, not necessarily all in positive directions, but a lot of a lot of stuff happening in these chapters in terms of Victoria's kind of uh, journey of, you know, changing and coming to grips with things. Yeah, yeah. So after a bit of tussling, Victoria manages to land a kick to Nailbiter's wrist, which breaks it. Yeah, I want to spend some time on this uh, because I, I love the way the text describes this, too. Which is, I felt the impact through my body, saw her entire body twist and arc in, re- in reaction. 20-foot lengths of fingers sweeping through the air with the whistling, whooshing sounds that normally came with the swing of blades. I think that the way this is described kind of accentuates, like, how... The, uh, brutality seems like too harsh of a word, but, like, she breaks her wrist and, like, the, the reaction is immediate and swift and, and blades whistling through the air. It's, um, it's rough. I mean, it's like it, she she... Like she goes into she's surrounded by by nail biter again, like she's in like a like a nail biter cage. She goes into it and chooses once again to use the wretch in close quarters combat um, and breaks someone's wrist. And, you know, we were talking about this in the discord um, and I was like trying to talk about how I loved how like brutal it was. And and I I, I used the phrase um, excessive force. And I immediately retracted that because it wasn't quite what I meant when I said it. What I actually meant to say was like, this is an example of, of like elevated force. This is a level of violence from Victoria that is above the norm for her. And we've seen her do this in the past, right? Like she, like Veilfor's jaw is the jaw that like jumps right out of the mouth when you think of uh, her doing this in the past. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so it, it got me kind of going down this, uh, going down this 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 rabbit hole of thinking about the differences between these two things. And I think that's something worth talking about here because we we do this thing I think where we tend to look at especially when we're we're looking at characters that we really like, like we do with Victoria, we look at the amount of force used and we decide um is the amount of force here appropriate? And if yes, okay, we're good. We did it, right? Mm-hmm. Um and and that's not wrong because I think like 
we look at the situation. She just broke Nailbiter's arm. Uh, Cradle is chopping people up. They're working with them. They're trying to stop these people to get to help their friends. They're also working with someone who's threatening to do something to time bubbles and end the entire world. Breaking someone's wrist in this situation, um, being that like that is completely fine, right? Like in my opinion, like from a from a moral standpoint, from a getting the job done type of standpoint, this person's in your way. You got to do it, mm-hmm. but it. But it is an elevation, like using choosing to use the wretch in here in this moment, choosing to to risk using the wretch in that cl- close quarters combat is an elevation of what Victoria does. And that's important. Yeah. And ju- just like with the gun and the crossbow. Just saying it's justified. I think does a disservice to what the story is trying to do with the characters, because the fact that she is forced to and or willing to elevate her level of force in situations matters to the journey of our character. Yeah. And, and I just like, I I think, I think that like, I think that's something we talked about. um, I think that's something we talked about a lot in worm without like putting those specific words to it. Right. Like I think there's a tendency and, and I do it too. When you're looking at someone's actions to just say, okay, were their actions justified? Yes. No, check the yes box. Okay. Moving on. But, but I think we should look at it more than that because Mm -hmm. like there's, there is more to someone's choices than just will a a third party observer um, agree that it was the justified choice to make in the situation. It says something about our characters. It says something about what the story is doing. It it is exploring that in a very specific way. And I think that's worth talking about. And I think we, we need to put a term to it. And that's kind of why I like the idea of, not excessive force, but definitely elevated force. Yeah, I, absolutely right. Because like the whole a major aspect of Victoria's character is that she bends over backwards to do things in, in a way where she gets to feel like a hero about it. Right. She absolutely bends over backwards to avoid injuring people if she if she can. Like she literally will like construct her whole plan of attack such that she doesn't have to break anybody's limbs or risk risk killing anyone. Yeah, there's um, a moment later in this chapter where uh disjoint is falling and she gets herself in a position to catch him in case he falls too hard. Yeah. And then she's not like trying to hit him, she's not trying to hurt him. Um she's just there in that moment to make sure he doesn't fall too hard. And then once she realizes he's not going to fall too hard, she's like, "Okay, fuck it. Bye." Um so yeah, that this is different than that. You're absolutely right. Yeah, right. And and yeah, I mean, I think the I think the Taylor comparison is warranted here because with her, it it really was always kind of a is this justified? Like she she wasn't right. She wasn't if if she was going for optics, she was going for the optics of how do I make my team look really terrifying and remorseless? Whereas Victoria is doing the opposite. Right. Yeah. So okay, that was that was what I wanted to talk about. So we can continue with the story again. Sorry. Cool. No, no, I I I like talking about that. I think it's very important to what the story is doing. So Colt tackles Victoria and stabs her with her death blades, uh, but they turn out not to be death blades. Uh, they're just uh, thing breaky blades. <laughs> Saved by the Manson effect again, Vicky. Haha, <laughs> Colt, your blades are shittier than Rain's blades. Sucks yeah, for you. Seems like it's the only part of her power that's not strictly better than. Um, every, well, actually, we don't know if she has any tinkering yet, but yeah, yeah, presumably, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's the thing we haven't talked about yet is that the breaker twist mm-hmm. um is new to the cluster yeah um, and we we can't really 
say anything about it yet because we just don't know yet. We don't right. know the details of any of it yet, but it yeah, is a different twist. It's only now that she even kind of starts thinking about it, right? right. As right. she as she flies off, you know, they kind of pair off Victoria trying to puzzle out the, the power as they duel. Um, so Victoria first kind of experimentally lobs a chunk of concrete at Nailbiter, which forces Colt to reveal her lack of super strength when she tries to stop it. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of funny because, like, I don't even know if Colt knew that that would happen. Um, her whole approach basically is to analyze and find drawbacks in Colt's breaker form. Uh, and the text spends quite an enjoyable bit of time on Victoria's analysis here. Yeah. I, I It's like there's not a lot of specific moments that I want to get into here because you're right. This does go on for a long time. It's great, but there's not really anything to dive into here. It's her doing super geeky cape analysis. Um, I think it's, it's great. I think it connects back to what we were talking about in the first chapter this week of her retreating into her refuge of cape geekery um, to, to make it through the difficulties that are in front of her. Um, Mm -hmm. And like she's got all these feelings. We know she has all these anxieties. We know she has all this doubt because they're literally being thrust at her. Um, and she's she's using this this geekery. I don't think it's a coincidence that in this fight where both anxiety and doubt are being thrown at her from different sides is the one where we see her at her most cape geeky. I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah, right. It's it's a it's a coping mechanism, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, as part of all this, she tries to talk to Colt. And Colt reveals that she can't talk in this form, so Victoria gets to say her piece unanswered. Uh, Victoria guesses that, at least in this form, uh, the breaker might be in a whimsical frame of mind, and that a good counter might be to say something to bring her down to earth. So she describes how the bad guys are going to die, uh, sorry, how the how the bad guys are going to um, hurt and, and kill good people, um, and, the, and that this mysterious breaker uh, will be responsible for it. And when she doesn't seem to get the response she wants, she thinks this never works. Talking to people about the harm being done, the stakes. <laughs> it's probably my favorite bit of this chapter, actually. I, I, I really like hundreds of words of analysis, right? Like she's mm-hmm. been she's been going through and like trial and error with this breaker stuff, trying different strategies, different tactics, and none of them are working. And then finally, she's like, I'm going to talk to her. Mm-hmm. And even as she's doing it, she's like, oh, this isn't going to work. Yeah. Um, but it does kind of right. That's the cool thing. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's debatable how much it works, but it has an effect. At the very least it makes her hesitate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was only in the last episode maybe where, where she tried to talk to the, um, the mercenaries and they were like, look, I got a family. Yeah. She's like, God damn it. Um, (laughs) but I think that's it. It is so, I love that it is Victoria that like at the end of the day, I, I, go through my Rolodex of Cape figures and I decide let's just talk it out, man. Let's just talk it out. Like, let's just come on. I don't want, I don't want to hurt you. Um, maybe, maybe it's cause I, I don't think I can win in this. Like I can't win this fight fast enough, but like, let's just talk it out. has been a Victoria drum that she's, she's beat so many times throughout the story. And I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like so. So she does get a reaction, right? And and it's actually that reaction that leads her to guess that it's Colt. Yeah, I, I guess we can finally say, like we've said it like six times already. I don't know why we pretend these things, but um, it's fun. <laughs> I guess now is a good time to talk about the fact that Colt's version of the emotional power is weaponized anxiety is um, perfect. Yeah, because that's Colt. Like that's exactly who Colt is. Yeah, 
And so, yeah, I mean that that was what she was experiencing in that yeah. moment. Not not only that whole not only was that whole chapter um indecision and too many things going on, but the moment of her trigger was like being pushed by imp into floor yeah (laughs) like just like everything on all sides is bad and there are no good decisions and now that's your power that's wonderful yeah so she tries to offer colton out uh from the villain team or you know and then when that doesn't seem like it's going to be working it at least offers to let her slip uh, or says like hey let me slip by so i can help my friends just for five seconds do nothing yeah for five seconds just freeze yeah oh i love it yep it's, it's so great. I mean, I, I think I think this was the right call because it does it does stall her. It's it's it, it yeah. works right, and it, it well, give, I, I don't know if it's fair to say that it gives her the time she needs, but I mean, they they do win this fight. So yeah, I mean, it, and it like it's it's funny. I don't know if Victoria did this consciously, but she does tap into, you know, Colt's natural state is kind of to freeze um, in these moments to not have to make a decision. People have constantly been making the decisions for her, forcing her into different decisions. And and she kind of plays to her natural inclination to just freeze. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Just the trick for beating her is just offer her more options and, yeah. <laughs> and then act while she's thinking about them. And, and we've, we've said before, like my current theory is that there is no emotion bleed in Rain's cluster. It's yeah. just that every member of the cluster is constantly experiencing a low grade version of their own power. And if that's the case, then Colt is constantly experiencing a low-grade version of this uh, crippling anxiety. Yeah, I like that. And sure. and and in in yeah indecision. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that would be the approach. So Victoria takes her opening and she dives down, striking kitchen sink across the collarbone and cracking it. That's two bones <laughs> broken in one fight. Elevated force, motherfuckers. Yep. Which is, I think, you know, the time to point out that like she she broke Veil Force jaw. She broke a dude's arm when they were shooting at her friends. But now she's broken two bones in the same fight from two different people. So that is yeah. a strict elevation. In Can't wait till we get that hat trick of broken bone. Yep. Shortly after, uh, as she tries to deal with hook line, she's hit by Love Lost's rage scream. So we finally get to see what that's like from the inside. And uh, yeah, it makes her real aggro. She yeah. wants to hurt people. Oh, and, and just like every other emotional power we're talking about here, um, this anger... This comes from her. This mm-hmm. is not new. It's just elevated to the surface. So when she says things like, I felt like flying through it and winning regardless was a really fucking good idea because fuck that two bit villain. Fuck everyone responsible here. That is Victoria. That mm-hmm. is quintessentially a Victoria. Fuck that two bit villain is a Victoria original. It's just being artificially brought to the surface by this power. Um, yeah. All she has to do left is like insult his costume and they'll be like, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. She doesn't, she doesn't turn into a wild animal and start thrashing her, her own teammates. Right. It's, yeah. it's just her, her own nature. The, the part of her that it, that is wrath, uh, with the filters taken off. Yeah. And it's, it's just what you were talking about. It's like this, this fact that she could go into any one of these fights and probably win if she was willing to. Mm-hmm. And she recognizes that right here. I felt like flying right through it and winning regardless. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. knows she's capable of doing that in yeah. most situations, not all situations, but most situations. And it is because Victoria is unwilling to do that, that things get so hard for her. But that is who she is. Yeah. Yep. All right. So Rain hits hook line with one of his silver blades 
and then foil knocks him down and the blade uh, causes the uh, clothing and flesh at his shoulder and chest to part and blood goes everywhere. Hey, Scott. Scott. Huh? Hey, Scott. What, what is it, Matt? What, oh, what just that uh, the silver blade split both the clothing and the flesh underneath. Yeah, this is something. So we said that back in the, the Lord of Lost fight, right? That uh, she got a blade on her leg and, and some people responded to us that were like, well, no, it would have just split her costume. Her leg would have been fine. And I was like, hmm. hmm. I mean, the story technically did say that at the beginning. So that makes sense. But I, I, I like I, I conceded the point to people, but also still remained confused because like the way the story framed the scene was not that it would have just done nothing. Right. So I was like, right. well, maybe she didn't know or and it didn't really make sense. But this is basically the story, you know, circling around and confirming to us that that's not the way Rain's blades work anymore. And then we have to remember the fact that um, the last time we definitively said his blades go only go through one material at a time was pre snags death. So the assumption here then is that as part of his uh, power up that happened after the death of snag, his blade is able to go through cloth mm-hmm. through multiple layers now. Yeah. I mean, speaking of snags death, I, I was, I thought that he hit him in the chest and he was wearing, I mean, presumably both snag and, um, and uh hook line are wearing shirts and it's still it's still killed it killed snag and it and it badly injured hook line here so i think yeah, it's safe th- to assume it would have been bad for victoria yeah I, I can't remember if like he was throwing so many blades that like part of his his clothing was already ripped off or anything mm-hmm. but yeah the, the point is that rain's power now goes through clothes mm-hmm. so yeah um, right. it, it, it it certainly makes me feel better about that scene right because it just really felt that way to me it really felt like we were saying that if she kicks him that leg's coming off yeah um so right. i was very confused when i was like oh everyone's right like they're technically right um so it was it was great that the book came back and kind of filled this in for us yeah and, and the text itself says uh costume and flesh cut right right like that like the i i don't know what else to say about that <laughs> it is being it is being very explicit like it, right. it, like not only like this is i this is actually like a like a poster child of how to like correct someone's understanding when you're writing a book live because right. the way this is framed is costume and flesh cut which makes that very clear and then it specifically cuts back to the lord of loss fight right mm-hmm. like i'd had the same lines drawn on me just an hour ago when fighting lord of loss the text is explicitly referencing back to that moment and saying this is what would have happened in that moment. And I don't know. I don't know how more explicit it can be than that. Yes, I um, think you're right. Yeah. All right. So um, near the end of the fight where Victoria is deciding if she wants to go fight Colt with foil, um, there is this beat where she's afraid to leave Rain alone, Matt. She she's she doesn't want to leave Rain to, to tackle Love Lost. And she says publicly it's because I don't think Chastity can beat her, which gets a nice fuck you from Chastity. But what she's thinking is the more interesting thing to me because she's thinking, I'm not sure you won't put yourself in a situation where you're forced to kill her. I only imagine that because I'm trapped in my own hell of other people. And even though it's as good as it's going to get, it still eats at me. She's in another world and there's little to no chance. She shows up in my life again until I reach out, but it eats at me. I can sympathize if you want her dead. And this like, 
this is one of those like rain related epiphanies that went off in my head of like because we have been I think we have been circling around this for the last few episodes, but I don't think we've explicitly stated it in quite this way. We're talking about why Victoria uh, has such a complex and complicated and difficult relationship with rain at times. And we said like her ideas of forgiveness, her ideas of of redemption and how those things conflict. And that's all very true. But here we get a window into it. Maybe it's because she sees herself in him and she's terrified of what she's going to be capable of and therefore terrified of what he might be capable of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. That I, I, that didn't really occur to me at all, actually. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that what's interesting is that my my read on Rain, admittedly, it's been a while since I read his interludes, but like, I don't think he really like wants her dead in the same way like he he kind of went out of his way to to try not to to kill any of the 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 cluster and and yeah. <laughs> gave snag every opportunity to not kill himself um <laughs> and yeah i i don't think this is a correct read yeah i agree I, like i just think that victoria is in a very different place than rain is and and i yes. mean she literally almost murdered amy in the last yeah you know yeah whatever that was but for uh chance almost right <laughs> right have. um yeah and and i i it's, it's so fascinating like i agree with you i think she's wrong i don't think rain would put himself in a situation where he would be forced to kill her like like choose to be in a situation where that is the only choice i don't mm. i don't think rain would do that yeah i well, could be wrong we'll n- see now he might end up doing it but i don't think it'll be because he like maneuvered himself into that situation yeah i agree it'll I be agree. because because his hand was forced but she thinks on some level i might do that yeah i yeah. might do that yeah i mean I, I think this says almost more about her than it says about him and yeah uh, and yeah. that and yeah i mean it, it's great it's great because and it, and it makes it makes her um her you know, quick to get frustrated, her barbed behavior around him, um, make a little more sense mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Yeah. And this is far from the first time that she's thought to herself privately, like, man, it would be really convenient if she was dead. If, yep. if, if, if yep. someone would just kill her, then I wouldn't have to worry about this anymore. I do like the part that there's little to no chance she shows up in my life again until I reach out. Not, uh, if I reach out, I'd like the, the until mm. there jumped out at me and I was mm. like, Hmm. Hmm. Victoria. Hmm. I like yeah. that. Good catch that. <laughs> Excellent. So Victoria ends up throwing Foil her gun again, essentially reaffirming <laughs> her decision to use guns in this fight. And then Foil shoots to intentionally graze her own fingers to impart the bullet with sting power, pinning Colt to the ground with it through the foot. Man, everybody's getting tore up in this fight. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Just got to shoot my hand. Yep. And- uh, it's it's awesome though. I like it, but I do think like I do think you're right that there's a lot of people getting hurt in this fight, and that's because this fight is a little bit more elevated as far as force goes. People are holding back a little less, and people are getting hurt more. Like this is like we got people damaged all over the place, and I I can't help but wonder if this is going to continue along this path. Yeah. Until until like instead of instead of all the capes leave the fight um, injured, all the capes leave the fight with half of them dead. All right. the, like, you know, like you just you just see that on the horizon. And I don't know if it's going to go there. I don't know if it's going to get there, but I can see it. And it's like, oh, God. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can't. I'm going through this Lo- love lost, I think, is not injured. Everybody else 
maybe Rain is not injured. Yeah, I think Rain gets out okay. I'm not sure if Foil is injured, but like, yeah, like almost everybody, almost everybody has some kind of injury, ranging from having their chest split open um, <laughs> to having like a, a a bad enough scrape on her foot that she can't walk. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a broken wrist, broken collarbone. Yeah, serious injuries, right? Like like hospital injuries. Yeah. Uh, not 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 first aid injuries. All right, yeah. So teams taken down everybody except Love Lost, but once again, Love doesn't seem to be per- too perturbed about it. Yeah, so she offers to trade some of Victoria's allies back if they'll let her group go. Yeah, I I love um, the recurring beats of Love Lost's confidence. Right, mm-hmm. like we we had that one um, back. God, was it over an arc ago? I don't even, I can't even remember when that was, but then we had that one beat where she just like was creepily confident. And then at the end of this huge, massive fight where her entire team got their asses kicked, mm-hmm. like she's the only one there. There's that steely confidence still. And, and it's like, it's, it's easy to say, well, she's confident because, um, their friends are captured and she knows that she has bargaining chips and she knows that they're going to deal with her. And I do think that is part of it for sure. But there's other stuff going on here because like, we have this moment where, where they're like, you don't want rain. You like, isn't this like from we, what we understand of love lost is that the entire thing driving her is killing these two people. One of which we don't know who he is, but two people. And then she's going to go away. Then she'll be done. That's her whole mission, her whole point. And they're like, you don't want rain. Like she doesn't even try to bargain for rain in this whole thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and her response to that is you'll turn yourself into our care another time and it's just that's so like creepy and like i just like it's this confidence that like we're going to get you like Mm -hmm. it's it's i don't need you here and it makes me wonder like you know we have cult being a new member of the shard we know that they've tried to get people into the dream room before like the level of confidence makes me think we we're we're gonna get you because we'll know we're gonna we know where you'll be every night and we're gonna get you there yeah, it's it's just so ominous because right. it, it's like as bad as everything is right now, I'm just going to walk away from this because I'm because whatever we have planned coming up, you're not even going to be able to escape from. I'm totally confident. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah. that's very like, oh, Christ. Yeah. So especially since the, we know this is like her driving goal, like her, this is her thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That, that's that somehow makes it more creepy. Right. Like she yep. he, she he's right in front of her. She doesn't even seem like she's holding herself back from attacking him because she's no. just so, like you said, so confident that it's just yeah. like, yeah, it's a matter of time. Which I, again, like, there's, it's, it makes you really wonder and puts you into the space of like, what's going on? Because like, her nature is is rage, right? And the fact that she's being patient about it implies like, not only is it is she gonna get him and she's confident about it, but she's confident that it's gonna satisfy her horrible rage yeah it's yeah. just yeah i don't know it all just adds great. up to be yeah and yeah. like one thing we did like you you could make the assumption that like okay she they've got this plan she knows she's gonna get him and she's confident in that but still like when you're engaged in a cape battle wouldn't you like position yourself to like go for him like we're, we're fighting these two teams are fighting there's the guy i want dead I'm going to maneuver myself in this battle to try to take him out. Right. And that really doesn't happen in this fight. Like she doesn't do that. Yeah. And it, I think that once again is so reflective on the fact that she has no qualms, no doubts, no um, anything 
about the fact that she's going to get what she wants. Yeah, right. Yeah, she like joins the fight late. And yeah. all she really does is do the rage scream. And then she's like, oh, I guess we lose. <laughs> it's almost like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to say that they lost on purpose because... That diminishes our, our team's badass victory. It, yeah, it, it does. And it's, uh, and also I don't feel like she would have put her team in a position where they were going to get horribly injured yeah. like on purpose. But I think it's less she lost on purpose and more winning or losing in this moment did not matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so the negotiation with Love Loss seems almost stalled with Victoria and the others not fully on board with just letting Love Loss group go. So Love Loss stops talking and starts just piping in the audio feed of Victoria's friends screaming. Yeah, it's very effective negotiation tactic there, Matt. Yep. The the reaction to it, though, by everyone. For an instant, I forgot how to breathe. My my heart forgot how to beat. I wouldn't have been sure I knew how to stand if I couldn't fly to keep myself up. Candy reacted. I saw hands at her mouth. Chastity visibly flinched. Rain, he looked angry and harrowed at the same time. That is wonderful. Like, like... Like I, my heart forgot how to beat is just this line that like, like, I don't know why it just works. It just works so well to convey what's going on here because like, obviously that can't happen, but that's how extreme it was. Yeah. My heart forgot. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. I love that because you, you know exactly what that means, even though that isn't a thing, right? Like that's, Yeah. yeah, that's great writing. And, and seeing the heartbroken, like, like the heartbroken who are so nasty to each other at times are so like, like casually terrible to each other um react visibly to the scream as well yeah i mean that's the that's the kind of the great thing that's been built up is that they're they're so um imperturbable and act like horrible things are are fun and and funny and and nothing matters yeah but yet they stay together as a group and and they have this like like these elaborate games where it's like you can do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt chicken little and, and whatever Mm-hmm. And and it's all, it's all show, it's all to some degree shown to be, um, not not fake, but right. but uh, a layer on top of something else. When you see how they react when, when they realize that the people they care about are actually hurt. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, um, so I just like I just love this bit, uh, where Victoria starts to, to kind of crack and says. You brought her into this? I asked. My voice choked as I pointed down at Colt. I brought myself into this, Colt said. I could read her expression now. I could see a look of regret pass over her face. I didn't care in the slightest either, because regret wasn't worth a speck of shit if it didn't change anything. So, uh, that's a lot. Um, Yeah. (laughs) here's Here's the thing with that. I agree that regret without change is pointless. Like if you regret doing something, but continue to do it, then screw you. Right. Yeah. However, I think it's a little more complicated than that. And I'm not I'm not going to sit here and defend Colt because I think she's generally an idiot who makes bad choices. Um, but. Like. Th- there's a lot of complex stuff going on with her, with her relationship with her family, with her relationship with Love Lost. It also like this could have been like the first moment in her life that she actually like processed regret. And it's like, you haven't had time to see like, what's she just going to do? Just walk with you now. Like, it's just, I don't know. Like, I don't want to defend her because I do think she just makes terrible choices, but I think while true, this is a little too harsh to me. I I mean, I, I think, I think when you're young, 
um, it's you, you got to have some life experience to make enough bad decisions that they actually start catching up with you. And yeah. I think she may be just now getting to the point where there's kind of no going back, right? Like, like that was that was actually her her interlude was this is your last chance to go back, and going back would suck. You'd get yelled at probably. People would be mad. I personally think her family probably would have taken her back, but yeah, but probably. maybe not. Maybe they were terrible people. Yeah. But the point is that ship has sailed. You are you are in this now, and only now is she able to actually say, "Okay, I've made a decision. I've cut off one avenue of, of possibility, and now I am capable of regret for the first time." Yeah, so, which it makes me feel bad for her. A yeah, little bit, well, it makes me feel bad for her too, right? I mean, like she's not, she wasn't, she wasn't making that decision like from a place of, from the kind of mental place where you should be making decisions like that. Right. And also, I mean, if she is part of this cluster now, then part of that was she was manipulated. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if if they. If they um, orchestrated this to get her part of the cluster as part of some long term cluster fuckery game that they're playing, then, yeah, she she was totally like weirdly coerced into this in a different mm-hmm. kind of way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, look, I, I completely agree with the sentiment that like just showing regret on its own is pretty useless in the grand scheme of things, but I can't help but feel bad for her in this moment where yeah. she's like, Oh yeah, I've, I've crossed the line and now I'm fucked and mm-hmm. bummer. I mean, I can empathize with both her feelings and with Victoria's perspective of, fuck you right <laughs> stop making shitty decisions and maybe i'll have some pity for you yeah um, you, you your your regret does nothing for me right now yeah it doesn't like it doesn't help me it doesn't get me out of the situation it doesn't get any of my friends out of the situation you idiot yeah i totally get that it yeah. makes total sense right um so yep they let the team go and uh the team immediately the uh the good guys immediately head for the university with victoria flying ahead of them and she reaches uh, the building where the horrible thing happened, and she's greeted by the smell of blood and bodily fluids. Ugh. She finds Tristan first, bisected. And, I mean, like, Wildblow just sets up this whole thing to be perfectly, maximally gutting. Uh, Awful. No, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, Tristan isn't in stasis because when they heard Victoria come, they swapped out so that their enemies wouldn't know that Byron was still ambulatory. Which is just awful. Yeah, like, it, yeah, Ugh. right. And and so Tristan's intentionally suffering horribly for Byron and the team. So Scott, I noticed in our script here that you didn't write a lot of comments, and that's usually what I noticed that you and I both wrote the minimal amount of stuff here <laughs> because neither of us wanted to mentally grapple with what was being described in these scenes. Yeah, um, it is maximally terrible. Yeah. So apparently Byron has been collecting body parts into gym bags. And Darlene is just over there having a complete mental breakdown. And Chicken Little can't hear and needs his mask on to hold things in place. Ugh. Uh, and that's just, I mean, that's like, a, I just want to, that's so horrible. And that's uh-huh. so it's so well done because uh-huh. you're like, what did they do to him? No, don't show me. I don't want to know. But what did they do? But I don't want to know. Uh-huh. Right? Isn't that perfectly horrible? Yep. Uh, Tattletail's body is there, Sans' head, uh, and apparently they've intentionally severed some parts of Lookout and Swansong, who were already captives, 
So they just took their captives and they just hacked off some pieces, I guess. Yep. For some reason, that made me madder than any of the other things, I guess, because they were already captives. And it's just like, you're just the... You you die now. You will die now. I will kill so you. So they returned some of their people. And you know, the, the fascinating thing, I want to explain how my brain works a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Because, so, we end the Darlene chapter, and Tattletail gets chopped into four, and um, then Cradle turns on Darlene, mm-hmm. right? And then we cut. Mm-hmm. And, like, logically... Everything that happens after that lines up to this scene, right? Mm-hmm. Like that they just, you know, meticulously did terrible things to all these people and left them there to suffer um, and then took pieces of them away max, like to maximize that suffering. However, my brain was like, surely that's not going to happen. Surely um, the entire team, except for the, the people that the, the guys that we've been with for the past few chapters are not going to be chopped into pieces and unable like there's no way that can happen even though it's the most logical thing to to logical conclusion to reach here of course like what was darlene gonna beat them like by herself and then we're gonna cut back and it's like oh no darlene won it's like no that's not gonna happen she's gonna lose she's gonna fucking choppy uppy whip yeah i I don't know what it is about my brain that i never quite learn where i'm always like ah but but wouldn't it be interesting if victoria showed up and and somehow um, the rest of the team had had pulled it out and, and had fought their way clear. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you're just flinching away from accepting <laughs> right. that the inevitable thing is going to happen, which is the worst thing because you don't want to think about it. Right. Right. I think the, the part that was hardest for me was Darlene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's specifically because of how it contrasts with how we saw her uh, with with operator red, Mm -hmm. you know, we see her as this like stunningly cruel, um, and effective killer, um, where she just is able to completely overpower this guy and just brutally, brutally kill him. Yeah. And then like, we contrast this with this, this little girl who's having this breakdown. Like, it's just so like the contrast is so evident that it's just like it, it, it like, it just like emotionally wrecks you because you're just like, it's not what you would expect it. Like it, um, it, it, it's just, it's, I, I, you just don't know what to do with it. And it like, you go right from Darlene, like losing her shit to suddenly chicken little, like th- the phrase he need, don't take off his mask. He needs it to hold everything in place is probably one of the most brutally amazing sentences written in the story so far, because it, you don't need to say anything else like mm-hmm. and I, I wonder if there would be some writers who had who would have a temptation to uh, show that right like like there's some like I love horror and I love gruesome horror at times but sometimes the best thing to do in a horrible situation is to leave a little bit to the imagination um, so, like uh, some horror directors would be tempted in the scene to pull that mask off and show us what it looks like um, but right. just but just that phrase just that line is perfect enough to it's, it's fucking terrible. Yeah. I mean, I think we're probably going to find out what it was eventually, but, but sure. in this particular scene, uh, this is by far the most awful thing to do to us. Yep. Because yep. it just makes you imagine how, like, not only what could it, but just like, I, my brain involuntarily rendered like two or three different possible horrible things that <laughs> could be under that mask. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, now, so, so we're here at the end of this chapter, um, with our heroes in probably one of the worst situations they've been in, in mm-hmm. this book. And I think that's saying something. Yeah. Um, you know, and we, we were talking last week and I think we forgot to put this, this was, this is what I was thinking last week when I thought it was just Tattletale and, and Tristan that, or, that were chopped in half, not like freaking 90% of the team or whatever right. it is. Um, but there is a, a certain, um, person that would be really good at putting these people back together again. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think we even mentioned that just after it had only happened to the navigators. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean, we're racking up a lot of, a lot of motivation to go talk to that certain person. Yeah, we sure story. are. We sure are. And, uh, she's called the red queen, Matt. And you know, uh-huh. I mean, Alice through the looking glass, we've been returning to this Alice through looking glass story a few times throughout uh-huh. this, uh, this book so far. Cause we have to say that, uh, um, we got the Red Queen and then we have Dinah um, as a character that is a cat. It's just a cat somewhere. Um, you know, Humpty Dumpty was in Alice Through Looking Glass and he yeah. fell all apart and nobody could put him to back together again. Mm-hmm. So. But, but the Red Queen never tried. That's true. We also got March, March Hare, Time. Yeah, yeah that's true. That March, stuff. yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, there. It, it's great. It's It seems like a very obvious place to go with it um which means it might not be the place we're going but um yeah i i I hated that i loved how this chapter ended (laughs) right you know what's funny is i was thinking about it and we're segueing into the discussion question anyway so i'll just mention like this this chapter to me did not qualify as horror awesome this is just horrible yeah this is just horrible because because there's not that there's not that that uh, counterpoint of of like the fist bump while the while the horrific thing is happening you're just like oh oh god purely mm-hmm. so that being said unless you have any more comments let's move on to community spotlight yeah we're running super late so let's, let's, somehow we're at two hours without even getting into the community All spotlight right. so let's go well okay so the question again was what is the most horror awesome moment in parahumans and Sarah Penguin says Regent's interlude. Well, she got the right answer on the on the first go. So I guess uh, I noticed we're, we're you done. put this one first. Yeah, I mean, we don't even need to move on. Uh, Sarah <laughs> Penguin says we're given enough context to know uh, that Regent has used his power in disturbing ways in the past, and Regent repeatedly pushes up against those bounds of going too far in this interlude. The text focuses on Sophia's awareness of and reaction to the slow, methodical dismantling of her life. Um, and you're kind of rooting for Alec the whole time, which is the awesome part because Sophia spends so much of worm getting away with everything and here she's finally getting what she deserves. Yeah. I like that a lot because that is definitely the conflicting emotions I had Uh, on the one hand, you know, fuck Shadowstalker so much. On the other hand, everything that's happening here is, is horrible. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. We have, uh, both Regvlas and Scandiaca blessing. Scandiaca. See, they even spelled it out for me phonetically, and I still said it wrong. Um, <laughs> but they both mentioned Taylor killing Tag and Alexandria as, as whore awesome, uh, revenging the apparent death of a beloved teammate right in front of her dad while delivering her badass line, repeating it, repeating back Alexandria's early threat. Yeah, that was a really, really awesome moment. I agree. And it was also uh, really, really horrible. Yep. <laughs> Uh, anti Chris just just simply quotes. Finally, everyone was working together. <laughs> I think uh, that's good. I think that's that's a perfect definition of it. Actually, yep. yep. All right. Next, we have a, a, a foursome. Um, well, we got some. 
yeah, these are just all people who picked the same moment. Yeah, yeah. Fip Industries, Jazriel, Sibs, Walg, and Roundest Frog all elaborate on uh, Antichrist's previous moment. Uh, Taylor and and talk about Taylor's psychic dismantling during Spec. Taylor taking over the multiverse is both satisfying and awful. It's a slow build at as the costs continue to mount, and despite the growing hope that she might actually win, your confidence that there will be anything left of her by the end steadily diminishes. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I think, just said Taylor is uh, <laughs> awesome. Right. And I think that's not false. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff near the latter part of the story in particular. Like here, uh, Wanson says uh, the part during Gold Morning when Taylor uses her apocalyptic swarm to literally devour the young Bond defenders and thinking to herself fuck them for not cooperating fuck it all i shouldn't have to go this far <laughs> i shouldn't have to go this far yeah, it's such it's, a quintessential taylor line i love it so much I know. what's funny is that it like yeah okay it's, fuck it's you for making me kill you yeah, right which is what like the third time that's happened in the story <laughs> uh exe jpeg windows media viewer says when Golem takes down Jack Slash while being partially eviscerated and freshly stitched together by Parian, and then they trap Jack in an effectively eternal hell. Yeah, that's really great, too. I think Worm is just whore awesome. I think it's what I'm noticing. It's just like, I think I'm not I'm thinking of a moment and I can't <laughs> not think of it as being whore awesome. So, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great one, too. I I still love the Golem fight. Like Golem's arc in Worm is one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. And. Um, the culmination of that in his Jack Slash fight was just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of Jack Slash, Data Snake 69 discusses Lisa's conversation with Jack Slash, specifically the part where he slices her face open and she's bleeding badly enough that we're not sure if she'll survive. And instead of panicking, she chooses to use this time to communicate with pen and paper and still has the poise to use the information she gleaned from Jack's reactions to convince him to treat the Nine's visit to Brockton Bay as a game, which they eventually end up winning. Yeah, at least Lisa's badass. Yeah, she's... Jeez, I hope uh, headless Lisa can do something. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm... We're going to need it, team. Lisa has a lot of record scratch. You're probably wondering how I got into this situation. (laughs) Moments in... That's true. ...in the whole saga. That is true. Toast Ghost 18. I love that name. Um, mentions what we talked about earlier, that Taylor is whore awesome personified. This post is basically a greatest hits of Taylor's improbable victories, focusing on how she not only gets out of tight situations, but leverages the inherently horrifying nature of her power to do so. They focus particularly on her escape from the burning building surrounded by Coyle's mercenaries. Yeah, I loved that moment. That was so amazing. Yeah, I kind of forgot how awesome it was until reading their post. Um, yeah. And just got, like reminded me of all the little subtle things she does. Uh, Coil's don't use grenades moment is so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I forgot about that. Uh, Lone Wolf 854 talks about Bonesaw, specifically the scene at the merchant's party where she makes a self-propagating exploding virus that explodes people who are hit by the giblets of the previous wave of exploding people. Uh, and the fact that Bonesaw specifically like makes it explicitly clear that she's artificially limited the degree of the spread of the virus to give the nine uh, their sport. So it's like, not only is this a horrifying thing to do, but she held herself back. Yeah. yeah. Could have been, could have just kept going. But also it's the merchants. So it's awesome. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) True. (laughs) 
All right. Alternative arrival says uh, Sierra's perspective on Skitter's return to her base after she dealt with the Slaughterhouse Nine. One of the few perspectives on Skitter from the outside, from someone who doesn't really know her, showing us not the conflicted teenager we know, but a terrifying, inhuman figure coated with writhing insects. Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, that, that's a particularly good moment because it's it's you are experiencing the awe and the horror of of who Taylor looks like from the outside. Yeah. T. Starwatt talks about uh, Earthbet. Earthbet is the world of Horossum. How and, and they actually quote this bit where Skitter is, uh, no, uh, sorry, uh, Trickster is thinking to himself, how had Jess put it? This world was sublime, a world that was awesome in the truer sense of the word, greater in so many respects. In a metaphorical sense, the peaks were higher, the valleys lower, works of art more artful, extremes more extreme. It wasn't a good thing. Make the mountains twice as tall and the chasms twice as deep. And things start crumbling. And then uh, they also give a nod to Kefri's takedown of the woman in blue as a, as a horrorsome moment. I like that. The whole planet. Yeah. So not just all of Taylor, but everything. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Kausubalu V2 says uh, they basically point out that the, the Simurgh's priority was to make an Eidolon clone, which means she needs the world to last a while longer, which means she needs to kill Scion, an entity she can directly perceive. So she orchestrates Tattletail and Kepri's victory. The Seamurg saved the world. Yeah, that's basically them, Kalsublu saying, this is this is whole awesome. The fact that the story was won by the Seamurg so she could make an Eidolon clone. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Stan the Man-Chan uh, talks about when Rachel six bastard on Scion as being a, an awesome yeah. and horrible moment. Because, and I like that moment too, because you, because when that happens, there's actually a note of worry of like, oh, is Bastard just a giant flesh monstrosity now? Like, I mean, he gets fixed, right? But yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Next we have Synths, Skints, who says the moment surrounding King of Cups second trigger, the heroes are fighting valiantly. The fight is rough, but people are being brave. Scion catches King of Cups and figures out who's important to them and crushes Queen of Swords head until it's crushed until it, it until crushes. It's crushed. Ca- yeah. yeah. Causing him to second trigger and creating a trigger vision, which completely destroys all hopes of the heroic presence by showing them the scope of Scion's being. And Scion caps it off by killing King of Cups, too, just as his power manifests. Yeah, that's I, I like that answer a lot. I, and I totally forgot about that moment. And. That's a, it's this wonderfully devastating, amazing moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this it's just cruel in a, an amazing way. Yeah, this this highlights that even our made up word "horrorsome" has different shades to it because right. some, some of these are like, yeah, that was badass, but it was badass in a way that's dark. This is just fucking dark, <laughs> and it happens to also kind of just be like so dark that you're just like, holy shit! Yeah, it's, it's fucking metal, <laughs> right? Yeah, so the point is we need, like, more words. Even Yeah, not know. enough. Some people weren't happy with our word. Well, and they, they can make up more subcategories <laughs> of this concept then. There you go. The Chub 23 actually mentions 11.8 of Ward, Victoria fighting Lord of Loss under the influence of Rain's power. Rain makes you better, but only by pushing you to your worst. I love that. It's true because like it's it is totally an awesome true. fight. You're so yep. like proud of her, but also it's like the darkest she gets in the whole story. Yep. Yep. 
And to finish it off with AC, we have 9.11 of Ward. The way Lung just takes gruesome dismemberment and impalement is badass, even though you're not on his side. It's great. It's great. Interesting yeah. enough, mostly worm answers this time around. Mm-hmm. A couple Ward ones, but mostly worm. Yeah, I, I think, think that's fair. I think Taylor does a lot of things that qualify. Yep, lots of Taylor. I lots mean, what's, of Taylor. what's funny is we were specifically thinking of this because of like the nursery power and stuff like that, right. which was in right. which was in Ward. But I see why people went to went to Worm for that. I do too. So I do too. New discussion question for the for this week is: uh, Tell us your favorite example of Victoria's leadership qualities. I like this one. Um, I think her leadership is. I think this is going to be a tough one to answer a little bit because it's it's complex. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm interested to see what people come up with. Yeah, it's one of those ones where it's like, really, what do you think is good leadership qualities? Yeah, that's yeah, kind of it's a very revealing, a revealing answer. Yep, you're revealing something about yourself how you answer yeah. this. And that's, be nervous, everyone. That's what we want. We want you to yeah. bear your souls. And that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at mordinamail. Yeah, and if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find this and all the other shows we do over at doofmedia.com. Once again, that is where you will find all episodes of Deep Impact, the newest show here under the Doof Network. Um, They are, I think they're about an arc and a half into the, the story, and they're doing about two episodes a week, so... It is a perfect time to get into that. If you've never read Pact before, if you've been waiting for an excuse, now is the time. You can catch up to them really quick and then follow along with them as they read. Um, I'm going to do exactly that here pretty soon. So you should, too. Yeah, I I uh, heartily, heartily endorse that. Uh, and if you like any of our shows, including Deep Impact, and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art and costume contests, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat. And this week's special thanks to new Bidoofs, Sophie B. and Jordan S. at the $1 level a voracious reader who has upgraded to 250 per month and Abigail H who's upgraded to the $5 level and new doof troop member, Benjamin Y at the $10 level. We appreciate all of you so much. Um, yeah, guys. Thank you so much, guys. It's, it's amazing that we get to read new names for this every week. Like it's so like, <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, of course, make sure you head over to Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbo, and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it. That is absolutely right. And if you cannot afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. You can instead help us out by going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating and a review. This week's review comes from Tasarwat, who uh, I think we've is a, is a new patron as well. Mm-hmm. We, I think it was last week we read their name. Uh, anyway, they give us five stars and say tricked into becoming a podcast fan <laughs> i've li- i've tried listening to podcasts multiple times but we've got ward is the only one that has kept my attention when illness delayed an episode's release i went back to the first episode of we've got worm and that plunged me into a re-binge re-listen listening to this may trap you in a podcast loop 
The analysis is thought provoking and incisive. The hosts are hilarious. Hey, and the show, the show, they show genuine affection and friendship towards each other. Oh, good. We're good at acting. Man. Yeah, that's great job, Scott. 10 out of 10 would listen from scratch out of a need to get my fix again. Thank you so much to Sarwat. Uh, we really, really appreciate uh, that review. And we appreciate all of you that take the time to go out there and give us a rating and a review. Um, I say this every week, but I mean it every week. It really, really does help us. And we appreciate you all that take the time to do it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week with some more Arc 11 blinding. I think we're coming up near the end here, Matt. I think... Uh, yeah. A couple more chapters, I'm guessing. Yeah, feels like it. Bye-bye.